Welcome, everybody. Um, picture this. My family is sitting around the table, all 15 of them. Wait, 14. One is still in the high chair. Later on, another one came along, and there were a total of 14 children, and I was the oldest. A statistic from that time in 1963, my family in one week consumed 25 loaves of bread, 18 gallons of milk, 20 pounds of potatoes, four dozen eggs, 15 pounds of sugar, and four pounds of butter at least. We also had a cow that lived in the ditch across the street. Her name was Bridie, and she would get out every so often, and you don't realize how big a Holstein cow is until you see her eating the neighbor's peonies. <laughs> My father was supporting a small village. Back to the scene, my dad, Gus O'Donnell, sat at one end. My mother, Mom, uh, my mother, Jackie O'Donnell, sat at the other end. And most of the food collected at my father's end, and that's where the real butter was. <laughs> it behooved you to sit next to my father, but there were assigned seats because of inner kind of warfare that was taking place. <laughs> and there was a social structure. There were big kids and little kids. And the uh, caste system was heavily protected by the big kids. Even though they had more responsibilities, it also allowed them to boss the little kids around. So when I would caution, with caution, tell people that I was the oldest of 14 children, eight boys and six girls, often the question would be, how did your mother do it? And when my mother was asked that question, she said, well, we just did it one at a time. <laughs> that does make sense. What's one more? In fact, every night we would say our prayers. And uh, I would do the God blesses. And I would add a new name every year. So <laughs> Louise, Mary, Mike, Dan, Marky, Jackie, Robbie, Charlie, Jody, Pat, Tom, Evie, Alan, Cole. Cole was kind of a tag-along. <laughs> we wondered why Dad had so many children, and we did figure out it was somebody, you know, he needed to tell stories, and we were there, we were an audience for him. But also, we opened the garage door, changed the channel on the television, and fetched his nightly Pepsi, his one indulgence that he allowed himself. I personally committed fratricide. When I was small, I evaporated everybody in the family, imaginarily, of course, and all that was left were mom and dad and me and the baby. Everybody loved the baby, of course, until it was supplanted by the next one. <laughs> My mother was a born optimist. She didn't see bad, she saw good, and of course, she loved children. In fact, after the last sibling was born, I heard her wistfully wishing that she could have another. One of our favorite memories was mom would bring a new baby home from the hospital. She'd sit us on the sofa in a row, and we would get to pass that baby down and meet that little new individual. My mother was indomitable. I don't mean she was tough. I meant that she could climb every mountain without complaining. When I was 14, 15, I went upstairs to talk to my mother, and she was upstairs changing the beds, which she did every week. And since we all had our own beds, 
That meant 11 or 12 beds. She looked at me intently and she said, I think I'm going to have the baby tonight. I'm going to drive to the hospital later. My father was on the road working. Later on, I climbed into the Lutheran minister wife's car. She was my ride to the school concert, and I blithely said, my mother's going to the hospital tonight. She's going to have a baby. She's driving herself. And Mrs. Burley said, oh, no, she's not. And she went home, and she fetched my mother, and my sister Evie was born that night. My parents raised this big family without close friends or family nearby, but there was never a complaint. My mother, my father had married this optimist, but he had a little touch of the Irish melancholy about him. They had met in World War II, and it's, the legend is that their first big date was July 4th, and they got married August 1st. Dad thought he was going to get mustered out. Mom describes one of their first dates. They were, uh, he borrowed a buddy's car, and they went to a dance, and they sang songs all the way home. He stopped in at the office where she worked on the base, and he said, it looks like I'm going to be leaving, and I don't want to leave you here. And she said, okay. And she took the ring off of her finger. She was engaged to an absent pilot at the time. <laughs> and they went off on their grand adventure. Later in life, my mom said that it was all planned. Well, you know it wasn't, because my father got Parkinson's disease when he was 45, and he retired at the age of 50 with nine children at home. My mother said she never worried. And I thought, really? But I guess you couldn't worry if you had 14 children. My father, of course, worried for both of them. He was the one supporting the small village. I remember when I was maybe eight, and that was at dinner table, and my dad said to my mother, I don't know how we're going to make it through the winter. My little eight-year-old brain went to bed trying to figure out how I was going to save the family. I was the oldest, and I took life very seriously. So how did we manage this big family? What did we do? We all had chores, but we all felt spoiled a little bit. My mother took the time and the care to try to make something that we wanted to have happen, happen for us. She nurtured our curiosity. I remember laying out on the grass in the evening, looking up at the stars while she pointed out the constellations. She taught us tumbling in the grass. She was just having fun. When I was about 14, until I was about 14, we lived in a small home with four small bedrooms and one bathroom. And believe me, you did not linger in that bathroom. <laughs> On bath night, it went chronologically. And since I was the oldest, I got to stay up till like, wow, 10 o'clock. Later on, they moved to the big house with six bedrooms and a seventh one in the basement. Um, there was no library in town. So my mother supplemented our book supply by going to old house sales. So I grew up reading things like Dave Darren's First Year at Annapolis, The Pony Rider Boys in Louisiana. You get the drift. Later on, she used box tops, I think. I don't know how she did it, but she got us a set of the classics, children's classics. So we had Heidi and Black Beauty and Robin Hood and Huckleberry Finn. When they moved to the big house, Dad built floor-to-ceiling shelves in the den. And by the time I went to college, it was full of books. In August, mom would buy bolts of cloth and would make each boy three shirts. And at one point, I think she had five or six boys in school. 
The boys hated this because, of course, they looked like their siblings, which was so not cool. <laughs> she made almost all of her clothes. At one point, I believe she made my brother Charlie a suit. Later on, she made prom dresses, wedding dresses. You could see her up late at night sewing, trying to finish some project that was, um, was due with a deadline. But you know what? She was having fun. She made us, she helped us with our Valentines. We sat down and we always made homemade Valentines with red construction paper and paper doilies and glue and scissors. Let's say she had five kids in school and each one of them had 20 or 25 children in their class that they were exchanging Valentines with and that was over 100 Valentines. Later on, there, we had May Day baskets which we made by hand also and she put them in big cardboard cartons and put them in the back seat of the car and helped us deliver them. Halloween, homemade costumes always. And my personal story is I went home uh, once again in a tizzy, absolutely clueless. I was in first grade and I announced that I needed a costume that afternoon. Mom promptly sat down and with an old bed sheet, she made me the most wonderful ghost costume with big red lipsticky lips and saved me from being the weirdest kid in class. She did all this while maintaining the schedule that kept our small village uh, whole and together. On Monday, she washed. On Tuesday, she ironed. On Wednesday, she ironed. On Thursday, she cleaned the upstairs and changed the beds. On Friday, she cleaned the downstairs. On Saturday, she did the grocery shopping. And on Sunday, the day of rest, she made dinner and usually three pies. She did all this while making dinner every night, lunch every day, and of course, taking care, taking care of the children. <clears throat> Let's see. <laughs> um, so, we all had our chores. My chore was vacuuming, which we did almost every day. I was a mean and dangerous older sister. I threw away treasured rocks, feathers, found objects. One time I threw away a glass of water with a baby tooth in it waiting for the tooth fairy. This was not good. I had a deep desire to make order out of chaos. My sister Mary helped with the cooking and every night at 5.30 we had um, a meat, potato, vegetable, salad and dessert. On Friday, my mom could make a 13-egg omelet in an old cast-iron skillet, high and fluffy and filled with Velveeta. She made our lunches. She would lay out the Wonder Bread on the counter in a row. She'd take the squirt bottle of ketchup and run it back and forth. She'd take the bologna and she'd slap it down. <clears throat> and then she'd put the lid on them and wrap them in wax paper. And if we were lucky, there was a leftover dessert that she would put in a baby food jar much to the embarrassment of those of us who ate in the school cafeteria. <laughs> so, my parents always made sure we had piano lessons. And it took a great deal of patience because there was an old upright piano and it sat in a small dining room and we pounded away on it. We also all played instruments and I played the clarinet. However, for my practicing, I was relegated to the stairwell where the door closed. <laughs> patience only went so far. My parents sang all the time, and some of the favorite memories are singing in the car, sometimes with the songs that my mother would make up. They were building us brick by brick with the cement of example. 
My parents would pack us up and take us to the park, to the art center, to the museum, to the fair. The energy this took, I just can't imagine. Imagine driving up to the fair with this car full of kids. At one point, they tied us together one year so we wouldn't get lost. <laughs> we would eat lunch in the car, and then Dad would stand on the roof of the car to see if he could see the races in the grandstand. On a Sunday afternoon, he'd yell, who wants to go for a ride? And of course, you'd opt in and on the off chance that he might stop for ice cream. We only made one trip a year, and that was to go see my grandmother in her tiny house in her tiny town in Nebraska. Eventually, our brood got so big that we were farmed off to the neighbors. We really never visited anyone else or took any big trips. Who needed a small village descending upon them? In 1959, my dad bought a Cadillac limousine, a big black old car that had been a mourner's car for a funeral parlor, and there were still smelling salts in the glove compartment. It had no power steering, and this is the car I took my driver's test in. I did not have to parallel park. Later on, he bought a another Cadillac limousine, and this was a, a Marshall Field Company car, and it had air conditioning. But the best part is it had a window that went up between the driver and the hoi polloi sitting in the back. <laughs> the seating was strategic because little kids had to sit on the big kids' laps so everybody would fit in. So my dad was great at yelling, if you kids don't settle down, I'm leaving you here, and I'm not coming back. One time, I think I wasn't there to witness it, but they left Charlie at a rest stop. <laughs> but I believe it was an accident. So my mother, when I was very small, would say, if you kids don't settle down, I'm leaving, and I'm not coming back. And he would put up, she would put on her babushka and her jacket and go out and hang up the clothes. Easter time. I remember one Easter, I woke up and I smelled baking. I was eight, Mary was seven, Mike was six, Dan was five, Margie was four, Jackie was two, and Robbie was one. And the next morning when we woke up on Easter morning, standing on the dining room table were 12 inch high bunny rabbits made out of gingerbread, all decorated. She had stayed up almost all night. I don't know if they didn't have the money to get the candy or they just didn't get the candy, but you know what? We wanted the candy. <laughs> we always had a birthday cake. And we had an allowance of 25 cents a week, but on our birthday, we got a birthday dollar. And to this day, we still give each other birthday dollars occasionally. Anyway, it was my 15th birthday. And little did we know, but my sister was going to be born three days later. So my mom's decorating my cake and it falls apart. And she went, up, went upstairs and she wouldn't come back down. So my dad jumped into the breach and decided to take us to a movie. This was such a rare and unusual experience that we still remember what that movie was today. It was Cinderfella with Jerry Lewis, and it was air cooled. So we uh, always, without fail, went to mass on Sunday, and at seven o'clock, if you were up in Adam, you went with mom. If you were a layabout, you went with dad at nine o'clock. And that was a little bit uh, chancy because he was almost always late, so you would wind up marching in to a church at the middle of Mass and walking up to the front pew while everybody watched. On the other hand, there was an advantage to this because my dad had this ritual where he stopped at a little shop in town 
And he would buy himself a chocolate malt and a Saturday evening post and shoot the breeze while we perused the comic book rack. On the way home, if you were sitting in the front seat by him, you did the steering because he was reading his magazine and drinking his malt. <laughs> the last sibling in my family was born when I was already in college. So I missed 20 years of stories and events. During that time, my mother was president of the PTA, cub master, advocate for the trails, advocate for the library, and a founder of the historical society in town. How could we, their children, not contribute when my parents set that kind of an example for us? I was the first one to go to college. Later on, we all did. There were masters and doctorates. There, were, there are um, scientists, executives, public servants, professors, um, artists, writers. The example they set was more effective than any lecturing anyone could do. They set out into the world a village of people who never looked back except to congratulate themselves on their choice of parent. My dad made it to their 50th wedding anniversary. We all gathered and we all made our speeches and then my mom stood up and she said, well, I kept you clean and fed. Thank you.